0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. My name is Greg Hill. And I'm Kai Owen Wolf. And we are Our comedy, comedy Professionals. professionals. When you do comedy every day, it becomes like a well-oiled machine.
2: We can do comedy like that about any topic.
1: So send a comedy idea to Greg and gregandcayone at wnpr.org, and we'll perform it immediately. What does it say?
2: It's from Buster in Middletown, and he says, Finding Nemo, but this time it's chicken instead of fish.
1: Let's just run with that.
2: Okay, Finding Nemo, but with chicken instead of fish. And scene. You say something first.
1: No, you go first, and I'll build on it.
2: Okay, how do you do? I'm a rooster and... Cock-a-doodle-doo!
1: <laughs> a rooster would say that.
2: How do you cock-a-doodle-doo? We're rolling now. I'm a rooster, and one of my baby chicks with a congenitally damaged wing has been abducted by scuba divers. That's so depressing. I know, right? But it's the plot of Finding Nemo. Like if scuba divers stole one of my kids? Yeah, man, you would be, like, a total wreck. I feel like... like...
1: I just want to go home and hug my kids.
2: You should totally do that. Just take the afternoon and be with them. You don't mind? No, I don't mind. I got this, Greg. Wow, I am really worried about him. What were we talking about? Comedy. Well, what do you want to do, laugh all the time like you're some kind of clown? Let's face it, some things are pretty serious. So here's a very serious conversation about comedy recorded live at Watkinson School recently. And now if Joe Buck were the next Batman, I think it might sound something like this.
3: So, I mean, Julia, teaching classes about this, so you've got to think a little bit anyway Mm -hmm. in a way that most comedy people don't like to do. You've got to think systemically or systematically about how things get to be funny.
4: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that improv means like you get up and you just like do whatever. And that is a recipe for disaster. Um, because it's it's similar, actually, the process that you're talking about, except the real-world demand is, you know, you're making it up on the spot, often in front of an audience, and so you've got to find something, right? So there are strategies and rules and, like, techniques into how you break something down and figure out what's funny about it for you or what's funny about it for the audience. And that, I mean, I, I agree with your categories, and I would add, I would really add patterns Um, If something is happening over and over or a pattern has emerged, like there's probably comedy in a pattern. So when we teach classes, we're teaching people to like look for patterns, but more than that, to like notice what they're saying. It's amazing how many people talk or like have experiences or go through the world and just like are paying no attention to (laughs) what's going on. So like a lot of improv is about noticing things and listening things listening to things just right there in the moment because then you get that sense of surprise and discovery of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just came up with California raisins who wear sunglasses and dance. I'm a genius. It's incredible because really what we're teaching people is just pay attention to themselves. When
3: you say patterns, can you give an example? I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but a pattern that you would look for? or like...
4: Sure. A pattern. I mean, well, in for real improv nerds, this is called game, looking for the game. So what's the unusual thing that is most funny about the situation that we're in? Um, so let me think of a recent example. Okay, so I was just in an improv show the other night where it took place in a mall, and it was all about um, – someone being pregnant, and basically everyone, one of the patterns that emerged was, like, everyone there had a last name that was related to a mall store. So the big, like, moment of discovery was we were talking about Hot Topic, and my name was Annette Topic. And we just discovered that in the moment, and it was huge, and it was really funny, but then we started saying, what are other mall things that could relate to this? So then it all kind of hung together. It doesn't sound funny when you explain it, (laughs) but... Watching people figure that out is what's funny. That's what's fun about improv is watching people like peel the banana right in front of you um, and f- like find it for themselves for the first time. But I think a lot of stand-ups go through the same process. They're just going through it in private um, instead of in front of a million people.
3: I'm li- When I'm having to write intros and stuff like that, I'm sort of in the same position that they're in. I'm trying to think how can we take something and reverse it, you know, or yeah. – uh, take it in the other direction or juxtapose it with something else and and i always envy people who are writing plays because it seems to me some of the you're not sitting there thinking of jokes you're thinking of characters you're i feel like that that would that's more organic and whole and you know it feels purer somehow than <laughs> the degrading thing that the other three of us have to do
5: <laughs> well to make it like to get to that pure like place though as far as with comedy and particularly with having to like not only be funny but like have this be a uh, either a linear story or at least be have some sort of like abstract theme it's like how can you be funny how can you think of these things you need to be able to i think kind of be a split brain kind of person because you need to be able to have multiple personalities and speak with the different personalities to be able to make uh, particularly like uh I'm not as familiar with like uh, all the rules of the the improv that you're doing but mm-hmm. like it's the same thing where it's like we need to make this work because if it's one voice and it's always kind of more Uh, amateur or weak writers that are writing in this one voice not able to kind of break themselves apart and be the inhibition of just being like no these people are I I don't have complete control over this but what would be funny if this character's talking back to this other character I've created and Mm -hmm. being able to think of it that way and not just be like I find this funny and this funny it's just a little bit different you have to sometimes either find yourself funny or
4: yeah like comedy is all about at least for me perspective. So you want your characters to have different perspectives that are playing off each other. Mm-hmm. You know, if everyone has the same point of view on the world, like, that's not funny. But if we have people who have clashing opinions and they have very strong philosophies, that is a lot of the funny stuff that we find in improv, too.
5: Right. I mean, it's like it's always interesting when you meet someone. For instance, like uh, one of my more successful shows was the favorite characters, uh, audience after audience, was these uh, two female characters in their late 50s. I'm not a... F- Female in my late fifties. <laughs> but The the fact that we're able to explore that voice and be truthful to that and for me to kind of go, Oh, what can I do with this and makes and again the unexpected or the surprise of what you where directions I'll go with that and not restraining myself but being true to these characters, it's kind of interesting and on that end as far as telling a story. You've already
3: broken like five rules of improv. You can never say we need to make this work. You can even you can never you can say, totally we, say You can say we need. That's like the rule There <laughs> are uh, a lot of rules in improv. It seems Like what
4: You're just making this up. You're doing it. You're doing a great job. I I just want to add here that like I thought that I had seen some You can't add
3: things either, that's against the
4: rules. I I thought that I had seen good improv and like and experienced a lot of improv until I came to your show and watching you do the show every day, I was like, Oh my god, this is improv. Like I don't think you guys understand what is happening. In the background. It's like he's a piece of paper with random notes from 50 different people, and then they're just coming up with this show day after day. So, like, you do know. You know what the rules are. They're innate in your bones.
3: Oh, you know, I have even more rules than you do. (laughs) So, and Brian, one of the other things, like watching your stuff on on YouTube, I mean, one of the other things that you're doing, obviously, is playing with people's sensibilities. And you're talking about things, including planes exploding, apparently. (laughs) Um, That, I mean. That was my job. Yeah.
6: Improv right there. That's not good.
3: Uh, <laughs> I mean, some of it is. I mean, Shock's probably the wrong word, or is that the wrong word?
6: I don't know. It depends on what I'm talking about. If mm-hmm. something like super profane, then yeah, shock's probably the right reaction. Sometimes you just got to cross your own line to realize you still have it. Not saying that everything I talk about is so R rated or anything. No. But,
3: no, but for example, I was watching you talk about asking the audience uh, if they'd ever been ex- approached by a stranger offering them candy.
6: Yeah, that joke's more of a wordplay. Comedy's just more, like, stand-up's more sneaky than the, what they do. They, yeah. Because if I want to have, a like, a conversation with somebody in a bit, it's com- stand-up's just a monologue, so I have to portray both people mm-hmm. or, like, be that other person or how I react is what's funny or my anger, me getting angry at, like, the person behind me in the line at CVS or whatever I'm mad about.
3: Well, I want to talk about that, too. We should. I should say one of the things he says is... Is was it ever the case that you would have gone with them except they had the wrong kind of candy mm-hmm. yeah. uh.
4: makes you think yeah and
6: I said like candy corn like get out of here if that was a Snickers bar however we'll go in your van but <laughs> 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 that was a very G rated of what I asked yes I uh, am. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say I really appreciated how you toned that down. It was actually funnier the way you did it the other way, but uh, but I still appreciate it. Thank you. So, um, but I, you know, I'm also wondering about anger. I mean, it seems like, I think for a that lot might of... That be a Connecticut thing, though. Don't anger? Know. We don't, have, we don't we have... It's all repressed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but then you have a microphone,
6: you can say whatever you want. Yeah. And you can get drunk for free, probably. <laughs>
3: so, you have an outlet now. Right. I mean, for me, like, I have this thing that I've been sort of writing... That I haven't finished yet. That's sort of an attack on TED Talks because, like, I hate TED Talks and they really make me mad. And, and everybody likes TED Talks, right? They're really revered too. There's there's something about going after something that everybody likes too.
4: This is yeah. such a TED Talk's crowd. I'd watch. Yeah,
3: no, it. I know. I
6: was gonna say, what do you call this? Like three TED Talks happening every yeah, week right now. Like... <laughs> <laughs> but this, this is good. Yeah, this is good. Really yeah.
3: good. We got yeah.
6: a carpet. Right. <laughs> my pictures yeah. up
4: there we're we're a ted talk without you're being ted. prepared or expert <laughs> yeah, yeah, we exactly. could do like
5: a slam poem over here and then we could be yeah. in you
4: guys yeah. won't learn anything and you won't forward it to anyone <laughs> <laughs> you get everything else yeah like,
3: it's basically like, the worst ted talk ever but <laughs> but we're still proud of it so scott you're kind of cheating you know you're living in willimantic i feel like that might give you i mean that, that, maybe that's funnier than living in connecticut well,
5: it's definitely interesting. Uh, it's that funny thing about Connecticut, where the like national uh, perspective about the state is that we all live in these huge houses and have Stepford wives and live that mm-hmm. life. And then you go somewhere, you're like, "Yeah, my next door neighbor he's a crackhead. Real nice guy. Real nice guy." <laughs> but uh, it's just that very different parts of Connecticut that's just this weird mm-hmm. national vibe. That were the punchline of all these different things. Where the filing cabinet, where the Liberal conservative kind of
3: vibe that we're this weird split state.
5: So yeah, it's we
3: did all the heroin jokes at dinner. That's the truth. Uh, it's a, you know
5: you don't want to you don't want to bash on it too too much. No, don't. But, uh, it's, I mean it is it's a, it's a rough. It's a uh, not in the best shape it's been. Uh, but it's 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 fun it's it's fun. colorful
3: that's what i was getting at it was
5: it is colorful, colorful. there's yeah. you got the you definitely have the drug addicts and you have everything else going on but it's got such a really interesting uh uh like art scene as well and the the, the, the people
3: you meet because again it's it's cheap to live there so you <laughs> you to meet a lot of people yeah so julia i i feel like with connecticut's reputation i think scott nails that we are often called america's filing cabinet stuff like that it's insurance it's defense and particularly hartford is insurance defense contractors puritans who are... A million laughs. And you guys have done this amazing thing. You have, you're creating an improv, physical improv theater after how many years of CT existed? Seven. seven. Seven.
4: So we, well, yes, for context, we will be the first dedicated improv theater in the state, which is huge. In its in Connecticut's storied history, there has never been a, a single theater just for improv. Well, you have New York. There's so many. They're tripping over each other. Boston has a million. But it's really an interesting question, is Connecticut funny? Because what actually Greg said to me when I told him what this panel about, he's like, wait. That's really two questions. One, is Connecticut funny? Two, does Connecticut have a sense of humor? And those are two different answers. Yeah. Connecticut is definitely hilarious. You guys are like, huh. Which is the answer to the second question. Um, is that the second you start like saying anything that, is, that I think is funny, somebody's like, well, 50 years ago there was this thing here and I'm like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Don't tell me the history. Like I, if you know me, I love history. It's not about that. It's just like having the perspective to see something with clarity in the moment is something that Connecticut is to my mind, like very poor at. So like, give me a, to give you an example, I'm like, give me an example. No, I'll give you the example. Uh, (laughs) I'm from New Jersey and New Jersey gets made fun of a lot. You guys and do you guys know what New Jersey's current state motto is? I think this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. It's "Come see for yourself." <laughs> <coughs> that is amazing. Well, Connecticut, and that was probably written by some dude down at the pier. And we will spend like ten million dollars to come up with a, a like the word Connecticut again, like because that's the least offensive thing we can think of. And I think it's really fun to be able to kind of try to give Connecticut back to yourself and and, and to itself. And I think the heart of comedy is just, like, holding the mirror, saying, like, hey, look, you guys are ridiculous. And we're included in that in improv. Like, it's less of a vibe of, like, you're stupid. And it's more of a vibe like we're all ridiculous together. And I think that's why we, <laughs> we've been successful is people are like, yeah, I did say that. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, and it's it's been really fun to get people to laugh at themselves, but it is, it is hard. It's very challenging because our natural instinct is to be defensive. And to, to your uh, point, Um, about money i think a lot of humor also always comes from punching up of like really good smart humor is like you're the underdog and you're just like killing the richest person and it's easy to make fun of them and it's easy to make them look bad but like in america like connecticut is that we're the monopoly man that's the perception (laughs) so it's weird it's weird to be like no we're not we actually suck That's not something people are comfortable with saying or admitting. It's like you can't make fun of it without admitting their flaws. It's so fun. When we first started doing improv with, like, corporate people and, like, really uptight people, and one of the best shows we did in the last couple years is These Nuns Hired Us. And they're, like, a convent. We did this big show at a convent, and they were, like, they called us, they hired us, but they were, like, we're so worried about this. (laughs) They would call me, like, once a week and be, like, I don't know. I don't know. And then we were like, okay, we're still coming. And they loved it so much. And they didn't want us to say anything about anything. But then like the nuns themselves were like, Jesus, like who's, <laughs> who's someone you would want to date? The Lord. And we're like, okay,
2: so that's really
4: fun because they're they're participating. We're just like feeding back their own ideas to them in a fun or funny way. So it's been really a delight to do comedy for people who th- are scared of it. It's my favorite. You
3: know, Julia, 50 years ago, we didn't have nuns.
4: Uh, (laughs) Yep.
3: Or heroin. But (laughs) I think there's also the mystery of, I mean, I'm moving away from the Connecticut part of it a little bit, but, and and, Scott, I'm sure you've had this experience, I've had it, of standing at the back of the theater on different nights and watching audiences have completely different sets of reactions to the same material, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just sort of one of the mysteries of comedy,
5: well, I mean, that's also, like, it's the the smaller room of people with the, the bigger the risk, too, because you don't know, like, you you could be doing the same material, uh, you could be doing the same show or the same act in different places, and, like, I mean, if it's a bit like the internet, like a perfect example Brian's saying, when you're that big, you're bound to find, find your crowd, but if, with theater, you just it's such a gamble, with improv, it's such a gamble mm-hmm. in the room because you don't know. I mean, you can, in situations where there is the imp- improvisation, if there is uh, that ability to read the room, you can kind of... Adjust, but in a setting like feeder, it's just like you're like, well, this is the product, and yep. they're not buying it. Let's get the hell out of it. Let's finish up, <laughs> get off the stage, and go cry and drink ourselves. And you know,
3: uh. I just comp a bunch of nuns because they're you know, nuns are crazy.
4: They're. Nuns are the best, but it's true. I mean, com- <laughs> comedy is all about the audience, you know, it's like finding, connecting with them. And what you do is so difficult for that reason. It's like, once you're five minutes in, like that is it. Whereas we can adjust second by second, minute by minute. And you know, standups can too.
5: On a positive note, it's, <laughs> it's getting better. I feel like, cause it's been an easier sell as years have gone by for me. I mean, it used to be that to get original work done in Connecticut, like, not at a large theater, it was pulling teeth. and Because everyone's like, no, they want to see this show, and they're doing, you know, for the Blue Hairs, and they want to say that, but you're like, the Blue Hairs, I mean the age demographic has changed so much. You're doing shows from 30 years ago that were old then and now you're talking like its it just boggles my mind. We did a uh, uh, Whack when we did that show of mine Mm. which is a show about uh, masturbation in Turkey if you need to know. And it was very... The the country
3: not the animal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was takes all kinds. Whatever it takes to sell another comedy. David copy. Cameron got in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, so.
5: uh. <laughs> but, like, and the thing was, but you had, like, you know, I had uh, one night we had this whole group of uh, women that were in their early 80s walking out, and this one little old lady, I love her to death, she goes, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And it's like, because, again, it's like what she's been watching growing up, it's like comedy was popular 40 years ago, was a lot more uh, crass than what was 60 or 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it just, I feel like people ignore that sometimes in Connecticut. They get focused on, well... 50 years ago, mm-hmm. what was... uh The say- turkeys
3: were chased.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah they didn't do that. Well, you didn't talk about these things, but yeah. then you look about, like, I mean, and as much as I hate it sometimes with television, television has helped push that bar a lot of the times, being like, <laughs> when I was a child... uh, uh uh, you know, everyone in uh, middle school, high school watched The Simpsons. And if you, you weren't, uh, the edgy households only let their kids watch The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And, and now you watch that stuff from television compared to what it is now, and it looks so tame because mm-hmm. uh, things just, the times change. And I feel like we put anything in a theater on a stage, on a pedestal, and it has to be a certain lever, level of humor when we forget that, like, the you know, 2,000 years ago, one of the most popular comedies was a, a, a satyr play with uh, – Ulysses being beaten to death with a giant penis. (laughs) So I mean it's just like it's we get I don't know, we I digress. That's the
3: sound of music for people who don't know. But we'll be back right after this from Watkinson. (laughs) All right, so let's bring our, our improvers back out. But from C T improv. Now's your chance. What's something funny about Connecticut to you?
0: Ah, Still revolutionary. Our new motto. Yes, we have have progressed. We have progressed from Connecticut's rising star Mm -hmm. to... Wait, no, we were always, you know, always revolutionary. We were back then, and we still are, right? Wait, isn't Hartford New England's rising star? It is. So there's a new Connecticut motto? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who was just like, you know what? We need a new motto. I'm a little (laughs) tired of this... Like who makes that call? Well what was the motto before? Do you remember? Was it the land of steady habits? Was that <laughs> was that or that's just, that's still there? What, did what it have that. maybe we didn't don't have think a motto? One. Yeah, we didn't have one and that was the problem and everyone that just thing. kept pointing at Hartford and is saying,
3: it, Come on Is it actually a motto or is it just the thing on the commercial? Yeah, this, I mean the state paid twenty million dollars for this campaign. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Not to depress you, but
0: you know, people have fight songs that inspire. And maybe one of the thoughts was like, hey, guys, like, Connecticut has morale issues. Like, I, Honestly, um, when I was in high school, uh, my sister really wanted to go on a cruise. And uh, so when she graduated, we went on a cruise. And um, they at the beginning of the cruise, uh, they they had, like, shout-outs to people and where they were from. And they were like, okay, and we got the Mortensen family from Brooklyn. And then, like... A hundred people were like, yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and we got, you know, the James is from New Jersey. Jersey what? And they were like, okay, and, uh, you know, here are the Ludovicis from Connecticut. And they were like, you know, a hundred people who were all like,
2: clap, 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 like, clap. Cl- cl- golf, clap, golf,
0: clap, shyly. <laughs> right. But they're, that's, I'm like, that's Connecticut, right? So, you know, it's like, oh, man, we need for something. a cruise
1: boat, that's, like, revolutionary to be polite and, like,
0: but it's, it's trying to get Connecticut back to it's like, hey, man, we used to go to war. We're risk averse now, but we used to be out there fighting for the rights, you know? Through a do motto? Guys,
4: do you guys think the revolutionaries would want things to be, like, exactly the same? That's what I think is funny about it. Mm. We're still exactly the same as we were. <laughs> <laughs> nothing,
0: nothing changes here. Land of steady habits, yeah. How just unnecessary is a motto? Like, that's our motto. Like, that's a sentence that we are similar to. <laughs> Like, why do you need a motto at all? New Hampshire has live free or die. Okay, that's a a question. We should just take that motto. We're going to do the
1: same thing as New Hampshire. Live free or die. All right, so we're five minutes outside of New Hampshire. Yeah. By morning, we'll be back in Connecticut with their motto. (laughs) No one will be the wiser. That's right. Definitely not.
0: No, I, 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 I couldn't find a Charter Oak, so I, I just I hit it in one of their uh, New Hampshire elms.
1: <laughs> Does anybody have musket bullets? Because oh. I couldn't find any.
0: Oh, oh I, yeah. I I am stocked up on musket bullets. Oh, cool, cause I brought the muskets. So you got the powder? <laughs> yeah. Oh
7: uh, just another night guarding the state motto. <laughs> <laughs> What an honor, you know? (laughs) I've been dreaming about this my whole life. I I was born and raised, Nashua,
1: New Hampshire, right here.
7: It's an honor to be here. Your
1: grandfather guarded the state motto. Your father guarded the state motto. (laughs) It's it's just our luck. They keep it right by the border.
0: (laughs) I cannot wait to get rid of our motto, swap it with theirs, and leave them with the stupid muskets. I mean, we really ought to upgrade our weaponry.
1: We will. Boy, die doing
0: Right. <laughs> We're but, already living by their motto.
7: I don't know what would happen in New Hampshire without its motto, you know? I mean, the state would just fall apart. Uh, guys, uh, you
0: want to load, load the gun first?
7: <laughs> How are you living, by the way, Paul? I'm living free. That's right. <laughs> I'm living free, Theodore. Or you know what.
0: Or I would die. Yeah. Okay, with our powers combined, we can shoot them once every 30 seconds, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to stretch.
4: Hey, New Hampshire. Huh?
0: Connecticut says hello. <laughs> and bye. Ball, Ball. No. Live free, man. Yeah. <laughs> I can't then die. We've been thinking about inspiring the people. You're right. Of Hartford, and uh, so that's why we've we've started with uh, with Connecticut's rising star, okay. uh, New England's rising star. Uh, stars they they can live for uh like millions of years. I like that. We're like that. Mm-hmm. I want to
7: be like that. Yep. <laughs> it
0: takes, <laughs> that motto. It takes millions of years to be born, but also millions of years to die. Right. So it's like the sun of New England. Right. When
7: people think. Of a hot ball of hydrogen and helium,
0: I want them to also think of Hartford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, just gravity, just pulling them right into Hartford at all times. Like uh, people will start just powering everything from Hartford.
7: Well, that's really great, but I also I want to see some of the other mottos that you brought me here today.
0: Oh well, yes, I mean that one's sure. good. Yeah, uh, no problem. Uh, so yes, here <laughs> uh, here we've got of course uh, Hartford. We still have insurance. <laughs> so I know a lot, of, a lot of businesses have left, but not insurance. Right. Uh, it is still the insurance capital. Uh, most of the insurance companies actually moved their headquarters elsewhere, um, but uh, they allow us to call it the capital because they keep sal- satellite offices. here. Right. We want to oh. remind people of what we have. Honey, this seems like a, a safe place to move.
1: They still have insurance there. How practical? <laughs> oh, still they still do. But I, you know what? I, I heard that they they kind of moved the headquarters out. Though is it is it still going to be a safe place to live? Uh, how about this one? Okay, <laughs>
0: it's a city, people. <laughs> oh, people. Yeah, no, no, it's a city, calm up, people. Because people are like, oh no, They're like there's crime in Hartford. There's crime in every city, like what, you know. Like...
7: Just telling them what to expect. Yes,
0: <laughs>
1: like,
0: it's a city. People, there there are going to be safe parts and dangerous parts I'm, and crime. I'm and, just like, waiting for the page to, to load.
1: <laughs> um, so I know that you like living in a city, and it says here that Hartford is technically a city. I'm not sure. <laughs> it
0: just it
1: doesn't seem. I don't think city
0: when I think of it. I just think. Not a weird job. Um, how about this one? You know? <laughs> okay. It's safe to cross the street either way.
7: Wow. I like that. There's a dual meaning
0: there. Y- yeah. It's, well, it, I it's like one, a, it's, I'm so sorry. I, uh,
1: <laughs> you're interrupting <laughs> the loading process. <laughs> I just want
0: to... It's <laughs> one of the few cities where, like, because they're risk-averse, everyone gets a red light and you can just dance in the street. Yeah. Like, either way... You, are t- you can cross, you can do the double cross, you can cross this way, just highlighting the safety mechanisms of, of Hartford.
7: Wow. These are, these are all really great. I mean, I know I hired you as a consultant, but I, I had an idea of my own. Oh, please. I thought, I mean, you've come up with some great Thank ideas you. here, but um, I, I just feel like, you know, we're, we're known, we're too timid. That's what people think of us. So I'm thinking we got to say, Hartford, let's get loud. Ooh,
0: you know, I don't really like, really like
7: that. game, amp up.
1: I don't really like that.
0: I like a nice noise ordinance. I was
1: was hoping to live somewhere where the sounds outside our window at night was like a deer licking a child.
3: (laughs) And that's that's that set. All right, you guys. That's a set. I want to talk a little bit about two aspects of modern life. Um, And the first one is this kind of notion of trigger warnings, uh, this notion that, well, I mean, for example, Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld, people like that, say they won't play college campuses anymore. There are too many things that are off the table, too many things that are off limits. That I mean, comedy is almost invariably transgressive, and there are more groups who feel capable of being transgressed against. I don't know, Julia, you're nodding. That means you have to go first.
4: I was nodding because I was like, I know what you're talking about.
3: You didn't have your arms crossed.
4: Um... I was there for the infamous Dave Chappelle incident. You guys look like a Dave Chappelle crowd. That's just, that was a joke. Yeah. Um, but he was, he was doing a set at, um, what's it called, the Meadows, which is not what it's called. That's what they called it like 30 years ago, but that's what everyone calls it. That's Hartford. Um, he was doing a set at the Meadows. I have not lived here in the lifetime of Meadows, G-Fox, St. John, but I know everything about them. And, you know, it went really badly and he, there was like this big break where he got really mad at the audience and they got really mad at him and it was terrible. Um, but like comedians are asked to play in bigger and bigger and bigger places now, which I think is just horrible. I don't know how you feel about that, but like it just really hurts the intimacy of what stand-ups have to do. And I think some of some of that, like comedians having to become stars is playing into this problem of they're offending more people because more people are seeing them and they're seeing them from, like, further away and they don't feel that intimate connection. But I do think that some, you know, colleges and college students, like, (laughs) Seinfeld in particular comes to mind, is like, he's old now. He's a little out of touch with what those students might think is funny. And if he's doing old material and they don't like it or they're not connecting with it, then it's kind of on him to you know, work on his act a little bit and think about what he's doing. Um, So like, I, I feel like I can see both sides of the issue is you have to like really work hard to keep up with what people are interested in into. But we are also in a serious moment where a lot of people are taking a lot of things very seriously. I think rightly, it's really hard, I think, to walk into a crowd of Thousands and thousands of students <laughs> and then bomb if you're Seinfeld or Chris Rock. But I also think, you know, you guys have been around a while. Like, you got to continue to work and find a connection with them in a new way. Yep.
3: Watkinson wanted us to do this in their football stadium. And I said, <laughs> no. I said, no, it's got to be intimate. It's got to be small. And that, yeah, what are you going to say, Scott?
5: I, I agree on the intimacy end of it. But I also feel like we, social media has kind of created this desire or right or authority for everyone to have this live in the moment commentary with everything Mm -hmm. everybody has to comment on something as it's happening and so you go to a comedy club or you go to a show and people have to talk about it or live tweet about what's happening rather than experiencing something watching it laughing it maybe you got offended at something but having to go home and be like well, you know what, yeah, maybe I overreacted to that rather than to be like, oh, my God, I've never been so offended in my life. Like, Mm -hmm. flipping out about it or talking back to the comedian because I deserve the right to comment on this now and I shouldn't just maybe respect what everyone else is experiencing right now on anything, any sort of entertainment. But, I don't know, it's this weird authority that everyone feels they have now to... Totally. I mean, it's like, free speech is great, but it's like... You know what? Maybe you should let the the thing that we're all trying to watch and enjoy and respond to and laugh and then take it home, or maybe respond afterward or I keep hitting your microphone <gasps> I'm out to get her uh, but that's a microaggression yeah, sorry uh, if anybody's offended by microphone movements <laughs> the rest of this show might bother you, but like it's and the microaggression thing I think is very sensitive too, because I agree like there's certain things it's like but that's. Uh, leave that to the comedian to decide what they, you know, they're going to try things and they're the one who's going to suffer for it if the audience doesn't go with them. I feel like being like, no, we have to constantly cater to just the audience and everyone else being offended
3: by something is a little absurd. When I first started on public radio, I was amazed at the level of sensitivities that people had. And I would get emails. I, can't, I made some little throwaway joke about, I don't know, yeah, he's allergic to shellfish. And I got this email from this woman saying, you know, I ordinarily find you funny, but uh, I have allergies in my family, and I was offended by that joke. And, and she, wanted, she asked me to publicly apologize to the entire allergy community. <laughs> uh, so I, was t- I didn't even know there was an allergy community. I was trying to think what their meetings are like, and everybody's sneezing and like, <laughs> breaking out in hives and stuff like that. And similarly, and, and this will touch a, a particular tripwire here with at least a, one or two of our participants, I had a bunch of people in the show from Lego, uh, and we were talking about sort of the disparity between boys and girls and girls. Uh, girls don't play quite as much with Legos. And I just said to the people from Legos, well, why don't you put out a Justin Bieber kit where the girl can build Justin Bieber? And I come back to my computer after the show and there's this angry woman saying, my daughter uses Legos and she's eight years old and she builds buildings and machines and things like that. She doesn't need to build Justin Bieber. And I'm writing back saying well, it, was a, it was a joke. And that's not, that's not a defense with some people. It's a joke. I'm just getting mad just thinking about it. I'm still
6: thinking about the shellfish lady. Just sent her a gift card to a seafood restaurant. Put a hundred dollars on and be like, have yourself. Oh, my bad. I just think the whole thing with political correctness is it's like, like I'm still thinking about the shellfish lady. Like, what did she really expect you to do? Know. Be like, you apologize. She's like, good.
5: Yeah. Right. I will never eat red lobster again. Yeah. yeah.
6: <laughs> Breaks her arm, patting herself on the back.
3: But the thing that bothers me about that, too, is quite frequently when I get one of these things, people say, I ordinarily find you funny. And I'm thinking, well, that means you weren't offended by the things that offended, like, the shellfish lady and the Lego lady. You thought those were funny. Now I'm offending you. It's all jokes until
6: it's something they're sensitive about. Then it's statements. Yeah. Like, I was just joking about shellfish. Like, no, that was a serious comment you (laughs) were making
5: about... I thought it was years ago with Isaac Hayes flipping out about the whole Scientology thing. He was cool with the the South Park guys making fun of every religion in the world. But then it got to Scientology,
3: and he flips out of that. Right. E.T. I mean, e. Improv is Scientology, by the way. I don't know whether you know that or not. Uh,
4: or cults. I totally agree with everything you guys are saying. And I, for the record, South Park is my favorite show. So I'm not, like, easily offended. However, I do think we're at a moment in our culture where it's like, you know, to be frank, and this is part partially my fault, because I invited this particular group, but, like, I'm the only woman here in, like, a group of nine people, and, like, a hundred years ago, like, woman-beating, I-want-my-wife-to-die jokes were, like, the rage. So, like, yeah, there's gonna be moments in our culture where people are suddenly, like, you know what? We're not okay with this. And I think gay and LGBTQ humor has turned that corner, and, like, the, con- I think everybody has to be more self-aware, mostly Red Lobster Lady or whatever. Like, it's mostly on them. But I don't think that just because you're a stand-up comic, you get to, like, never think about how people are receiving your work. You know what I mean? I think you have, to, you have to do it. You have to go through the process. But, like, as I agree, like, people should be going home at night and thinking about what just happened. But I include the comics in that responsibility.
5: And I, I, I agree that, like... and Thank I, you. I you know, Absolutely. But uh, with, I mean, it's social progression is going to be its own thing with I mean yes comedy falls into that but I don't think we feel that we should be constantly like hamstringing comedy or other no. f- types of arts because we think that it might impact the social progression I feel it's going to happen and that's why to me it really matters about the intent and what happened again it's taking that back and thinking about it I think a lot of comedians uh, I know Brian and Brian we talked about this dinner like some comedians are just out there to be a jerk and just to offend people and they're just out there to get that line out there but I feel that if the intent was to be a joke, it was, I can understand why it was well thought out. I feel it's the responsibilities on the audience as well to go, well, you know, this isn't something I normally laugh at. Um,
4: I think the way that people who really object, you know, are feeling is <laughs> that is the moment of social progression of people saying like, you know what? Bill Cosby raping people. Like all of a sudden you don't get a pass anymore. Obviously that's a very extreme, very current example, but like, comedy is at the lead of our culture. You know what I mean? Like, right now, it is so huge. Like, everyone is into comedy right now. So, like, maybe that is how social progress is going to change. We can't be like, you know, after the Senate votes on XYZ, then we can, (laughs) then the progression is over. I don't believe in that at all. Like, if comedians are going home and being like, Whoa, maybe I can't do like floppy hand gay humor anymore. Like, that's obviously great. And maybe, you know, the people that need to like be having that progression in their mind are the people going to comedy clubs and not the people who are thinking about this in other more academic ways. Uh,
3: One of the questions that I have is, I mean, everything feels very sped up these days, obviously. And and I'm wondering what that means. I mean, for me, like, I'm writing comedy sketches four times a week for the radio. But I'm also finding if I have two seconds, I'll tweet uh, out a joke. And I guess the good part of that is it keeps the mechanism pretty well oiled. But I also sort of wonder, first of all, are you finding that? Are you finding that just sort of the pace of uh, of digital life changes you as a comedian.
6: Yeah, you can get fired from just something you tweet now. Like, that's absurd. How do I get fired from the job that I run by myself? Like That's insanity. Right. You know, <laughs> that's, that's why I don't post anything on Twitter. I save it all for Facebook, all my evil. <laughs> I guess that's a safe ground still. I don't know. I just think it's if you it only has power if you give it power. Like if you let the people that get outraged but like if you just did something and like three people were outraged in a room full of people laughing, if you ignore it for five days it's gonna go away till the next person that outrages somebody goes viral or whatever. Mm-hmm. You has gotta be patient. No one's patient anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like what Scott was saying. You could instantly write your opinion now instead of like driving home and calming down, then like, oh I just got the joke or something. <laughs> like get a cup of coffee and like cool yeah. off for a little bit, like, Oh, this has no meaning on my life whatsoever. Mm. Well, I'm going to go watch The Blacklist now.
5: And <laughs> it's the good and bad of that, too. like, I mean, I I, I love it and I hate it because it, the part where I, I completely agree is you get these people that aren't making a joke and are posting stuff out that are in this immediate world. And they do get fired and you're like, well, yeah, that guy was either a, a racist scumbag or was beating the crap out of somebody in a sports stadium because somebody took or spilled his beer like because yeah. everything's immediate everyone's got a camera now uh, but then you can be really funny and I love like vines I think vines are a great way to be like like all these little
6: funny things that are out there But yeah. you guys know what yeah. vine is? it's a uh, six second videos that's it
4: that loop in <laughs> that, infinite. yeah
6: loops for <laughs> I can tell you. So should
4: know. we just do a vine? Yeah, we can do a vine. Like here's like a vine, like wow.
6: That backflip though, eight million views right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's comedy now. <laughs> <laughs> I just
1: don't
6: like. <laughs> <laughs> like the, that's, good night, like, thank you. Yeah, comedy's that, or like we put this pressure. I feel like now that we have to leave a comedy show now like a better person.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Like oh, the way that guy talked about farts, I feel so introspective now. It's like no, just laugh. <laughs> right. Have a good time. Like get two beers, have a steak, and go home. But it, it I don't is. hate your life for like an hour. <laughs> yeah.
3: it we'll be back right after this from Watkinson. Unless the black
0: window, you're dying is easy. It's like one cheesy. I tell you, die.
2: Today's show was recorded in front of a live audience recently and produced by Colin McEnroe and me, Kion Wolf, with huge assistance from our friends at Event Resources. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Shecky Green. Our interns are Stephanie Reef and Ross Levin. For show pages, articles, and audio of the Here and Now staff telling knock-knock jokes, go to our website, wnpr.org Colin. Tomorrow, a party-switching show. And now... Back to Colin.
3: So put up your hands if you have a question about comedy, about anything we've been talking about.
2: Do you ever think you guys have had
0: your brains wired differently than the average person?
3: I'm thinking that right now, actually.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> we get this question so much in CT, like, I could never do that or or how how is this happening? Everyone is innately funny, or everyone innately at least finds things funny. Well,
3: let me let me just stop you there. How many people up there, up in the audience, think I'm not funny? I mean that you're not that I'm not funny, but um, <laughs> nobody thinks that. So, um, how many people have, have ever had the thought? Well, I'm just not funny. Is anybody in the audience think that they're? Not, see, well, some I few. see, some of yeah, no.
1: yeah. No, not you. Not it's you.
3: not true. Everybody <laughs> is funny. That's so funny of you to raise your hand right. Now. Yeah, <laughs> that was hilarious when you did that.
0: But uh, uh, sincerely, so uh, I also I. Worked in insurance for many years, and uh, you know, I'm I'm an introvert. I was a computer engineer, and I just assumed, like, you know, I did not want to talk to other people because I assumed they didn't want to hear what I was saying. But I started studying improv to feel a little more comfortable in my own skin, to feel a little braver, to learn. Um, and and improv is really, at the end of the day, it's teaching. Two people how to interact together and agree with each other and find, you know, basically we just treat the other person's idea like it was brilliant and that makes everyone feel good. So I find humor in my own insecurities, and uh, but it's, it's fun to, to put that out there and to, to play that with other people. So everybody in this room is an interesting person, you have unique stories, and... Uh, you're funny people, and, you know, by studying it in many different ways, whether you like improv, whether you want to write, whether you want to do stand-up, it can be studied, uh, you know, and, and learned as an art. It's an art form.
3: I do think that there are two kinds of people in this world, though. And I think this all the time. And I think it's a bigger divide than any other. There are people who think they're living in a drama, and there are people who think they're living in a comedy. And I think it's a bigger difference than political differences, religious differences. I can get along with almost anybody who thinks that he's or she is living in a comedy. And I find people who basically have a deep, dramatic, serious reaction to life a lot harder to communicate with. I do think that those. Scott, what were you going to say? I think that there's humor in everyone, and there's humor about everyone's
5: life. I don't think everyone's capable of seeing it all. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think separates, like, a true comedian. Like, whatever your style of form or medium of comedy is, you're able to see it all. I think some people are either unable to or they have other, like, things that they're repressing that they're not able to see all the humor about themselves or about the world. And that's the difference to me. I don't... It's not that they're not funny. It's just they can't see any of the humor. And I think that's that Mm -hmm. same type of people that, like, they see... Their life as this drama, or this the the world as this drama, uh, when it's really this sick comedy.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who else? Other questions?
0: One question I have, just because I was I was intrigued by all of your answers about like why Connecticut is or isn't funny. Like I grew up here, and I lay awake at night sometimes thinking about how I can escape. Um, And I'm curious, like what keeps you doing comedy in Connecticut? If hypothetically
5: there are funnier
0: places elsewhere, a A court order.
4: I like doing comedy here because the comedy community in other places is like too much. It's like comedians hanging out with other comedians is like fun to a point, and then at the rest of the point, you're like, oh, this is a lot. This is like too much. It's great and very interesting to connect with regular people about what's funny to them. Like, I've said a lot of very warm things about audiences, but I do try to push them, like, hey, hey, nuns, remember, you're married to Jesus or whatever. Like, that is more fun to me (laughs) than going and, like, slogging it out in a terrible place, you know, in Boston with all the Boston college bros or whatever. I mean, really one of the best things for CT is that, like, to to be honest, like, it's such an undersaturated market. The amount of stage time that we get is Crazy. Um, like in other cities where there's so many comedians, like, it, and you do want to hone your act in front of a real audience, you know, it's really, really hard to get like two minutes, like once a month in front of an audience. That's terrible. We do hours and hours and hours of comedy every month in front of audiences, and that has made a lot of our improvisers get better much faster. That's a huge benefit to Connecticut. But to you, who wants to escape, like, go for it if you want. But remember, the original answer, like, Connecticut is funny. It's the people in it who are not seeing it. To Scott's point, like there's so many cool and funny things about Connecticut. Yeah. But you have to see it, and it's on you. Like that's what I like about Connecticut is that Connecticut's on you. Like if you have a problem with it, like that's your issue. That's not Connecticut's issue.
1: Julia, you f- you found the new motto.
5: I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's
4: on you. It's
5: on you. <laughs> and there's so many there's so many platforms like what you're saying as far as like getting out there for your medium in Connecticut. As much as we joke about being a little dry sometimes there's these great like niches for different types of artists um some like the reason why i do honestly stay here some of the best playwrights i know are in connecticut and actually have and historically have come out of connecticut and it's just there's there's great there's great history to that um and just really interesting festivals and for, for me anyways as a writer like i i think there's like lots of great minds to to speak with
4: You know, most people in Connecticut like to go to New York and Boston, so they, like, appreciate the art already, which is, I think, what's different than if you're in, like, the boondocks of Nebraska or something. So you guys all like comedy and theater, but you also don't like going out that much. So you're... Not going to go far away every weekend. So you're like, I like that comedy that I saw in New York five years ago. Where can I see that? And then you find us. (laughs) Well,
3: And I think that's also, you know, speaking of slogans, I said this so many times that a guy made up a little baseball hat with me before me that says Hartford, the city that actually needs you. But it's kind of true. And it's kind of funny, too, that if any of you move to San Francisco, San Francisco will not care. You know, you'll show up in San Francisco, hey, I'm here! And then we don't care. You know, we got, we got plenty of people who do what you do and whatever. I mean, here, people really are absolutely thrilled when you show up to do anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it, it, this does sound like I'm lowering the bar a little bit, but I don't mean it that way. I mean that you're, every talent that you have, you're not I mean, there are a lot of cities where you can be funny and talented and wonderful and, or good at whatever you're all good at out there, and no one will care. Here, people really will be excited to use you. I mean, if you really want to show up and be part of something culturally, I mean, people will make use of that. And I think that's actually a really good thing. So I, mean, I guess that's sort of the same thing yeah. everybody's saying. I just think this whole situation is very Connecticut right now. It's got a big group
6: of people gather around and talk about whether it's funny or not. Like, yeah. <laughs> you think they're doing that in Wisconsin
0: right now, like with all that cheese lying around
6: and not talking about Wisconsin?
0: But to exactly that point, uh, the reason I'm here, and I think a lot of us are here, is because Connecticut deserves and needs to laugh. It needs to get that sense of humor back, right? Um, and, and it has it. And you know, I'm all of you—you're good people, and you are laughing, and you you have senses of humor. But we we got to w- admit that about ourselves, and and say like that's a healthy thing. You know, we don't all want to die of heart attacks at, at 50, right? Got to laugh; it's healthy. I think it's
5: hilarious your point, though, about that bringing it back. I never even thought about it, but it's such a Connecticut thing, the the distance and why sometimes maybe our audiences aren't as energetic because they're like, oh, I got to drive a half an hour to see that show. But <laughs> <laughs> like my friends, like in San Antonio, they're like, uh, I to go get groceries. It's like an hour drive. <laughs> like yeah. geez, like an hour, you're in like Massachusetts. So but yeah. Just, and I had to wait in
3: line for seven minutes at that thing in Hartford. Oh God. Or <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. we were
5: talking about like a waitresses. The different areas, like the very Connecticut, don't have a sense of humor about urgency. They're like, no, I need my food and I want my food now. Where like a waitress talks to you uh, in uh, down south, and we're like, like <laughs> oh, yeah. hey,
6: how you Stop. doing? Whoa, easy yeah.
3: now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had a a docent in a museum in Alabama say, who are your people? I thought, well, that's like a very existential question. Why do you want to know that? Uh, I mean, you're just showing me this museum. All right, we're going to have to stop there. First of all, I want to thank our Chippendale dancers, our grunge flannel Chippendale dancers, (laughs) Greg Ludovici, Nate Gagnon, Steve Yankee, Brian Quagan, Daniel Davidson. And now a big hand for our panel up here, Brian Barguinier, Julia Pistel. Scott Stephen Kegler, thank you for coming. Hey,
0: think think
2: Hey, Greg, what's another word for Connecticut? That's not funny.
1: Yeah, that's uh, about right.